Hello, I'm Anna Bogutsko. And I'm Clarice Lockery. And this is the Next Supremes, an American Horror Story Rewatch podcast. In this episode, we learn about the organization dedicating to... <laughs> In this episode, we learn about the organization dedicated to hunting witches. Today's episode, titled Head, was written by Tim Minear, who has written an exec produced for amazing shows like Firefly, Angel, and a lot more, including shows from the extended Ryan Murphy universe, and directed by... Okay, get ready. <laughs> directed by Howard Deutsch, who is the director of Pretty in Pink. <laughs> and some kind of wonderful. Of course. <laughs> and also, like, I mean, amazing. But also, weirdly, I had a lot of fun diving into his IMDb because he also is the director of... Not the original comedy classics, but the sequels like The Odd Couple 2 and The Whole <laughs> Ten Yards. <laughs> Grumpier old men. Wow. Great. And also The Replacements, which I actually think is an underrated comedy with Gene Hackman and Keanu Reeves. And that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and obviously this is exactly like Pretty in Pink. Well, Identical. Quite. <laughs> Let's kick off with our <laughs> let's kick off with this episode, which is which will go from funny to intensely problematic. So strap in. Ting. That was me strap that was the seatbelt yep. clinking. <laughs> <laughs> um so we start with a flashback to 1991 where we see little little boy Hank, little trash man Hank before he became a trash man with his dad. <laughs> Hunting for women in the woods. Sorry, but like, because <laughs> obviously you know that this is leading up. They they make you think, oh, maybe they're just like hunting duck or whatever. But you obviously know that it's going to be witches. <laughs> but like when she finally appears like out of the bushes, why is she dressed like Meryl Streep and into the woods? <laughs> It's 1991. <laughs> She's like coming out with like, hello. <laughs> Come to my gingerbread house. <laughs> it's, it's basically like uh, his dad is indoctrinating little Hank into hating witches slash women. And by kind of presenting the most stereotypical old crone who's not like she's like a young woman who yeah. kind of made up to look like an old woman. Oh, this is not the 90s. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe maybe witches in the 90s just had like a big into the woods face. <laughs> <laughs> so we move on really swiftly into present day Hank. But like the dynamic between father and son is quite interesting because clearly he looks up to his dad and they're part of... His dad is kind of the CEO of the Delphi Trust, which is like a 
cover up foundation for the witch hunting organization. And their dynamic is very much Hank is a flop, uh, a not mm-hmm. handsome flop, as I think is confirmed in this episode. <laughs> not handsome. And he's just kind of constantly undermined and belittled by his father in the same way as he was when he could not shoot a woman point blank in the head as a child. Which, yeah. to be fair, is not his fault. Yeah, and also um, Luke Cage works for them. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that that threw me. <laughs> I was so happy when that happened. Oh my god, MCU crossover. Yeah. <laughs> Luke Cage is actually a witch hunter. So I want to see that spit off. Because he shows up and his name is David and he is Hank's dad's right-hand man and he's very good at his job, which Hank is not. And Mike Coulter is great and has more yeah. charisma in a five-minute appearance than Hank in a whatever amount of episode <laughs> arc. Yeah, because the whole time it's just like, why can't you be like Luke Cage? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, She's always. Like, great question. Why can't we all be like Luke Cage? Well, exactly. What do you make of the tensions between Hank and his father? I mean, they both suck. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I'm not going to feel bad for Hank. Oh, daddy didn't love you. Get over it. (laughs) You suck. Yeah. (laughs) Also, I have been killing witches unauthorized. Yeah, and, and the dad's like... Look, Luke Cage over here had to kill a maid and a, a desk clerk to to cover up because you paid for the hotel room on your company credit card, you idiot. Yep. Um that's really bad. Yeah, like he's he's not great at anything. No. He's not great at killing. He's not great at fucking. As we've not great at paying for things in cash. <laughs> not great at being a husband to Cordelia. Yeah. Not great at being a minion to Mary Laveau. Just a flop on not all accounts. Not great at dressing. I'll throw it in there. Bad fashion. Yeah, bad fashion. In a very fashionable season. Terrible. Mm-hmm. No excuse. Let's move on to Myrtle Snow. And how she deals with the betrayal of the witch council. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So we first see her, she's got a melon baller. She's saying, "Mm -mm, melon ballers, what a great invention. Love it. (laughs) And then she brings the melon balls into the dining room and it's um leslie jordan and that woman we don't that no one cares about oh. <laughs> what's her name Pembe- pembroke Pem- pembroke yeah um and she's she's serving them dinner of course the melon balls are a palate cleanser how delightful mm-hmm. except the melon balls have monk's hood in them which apparently cause temporary paralysis uh and Within that time, she takes the melon baller <laughs> and she melon balls their eyes out. <laughs> uh, one from each. But then she puts the eye in the bowl of melon balls, which then 
you've got melon juice all over your eyeballs. Because then she then puts the eyeballs in Cordelia's, in Cordelia. <laughs> yes, in her face. In her face. And you're like, but you just put melon juice in, in her head. Oh, I have an explanation for this. Yes. It might be incorrect, but it works at solving this potential melon-shaped plot hole. Okay. She takes out both of their eyes, but for dramatic effect, because Myrtle is nothing if not dramatic, she puts one of each of their eyeballs into the melon balls, but then the other ones, which are not contaminated by melon juice, she puts into Cordelia's face. I see. That would, yeah, that makes more sense. It it would also kind of give her the satisfaction of kind of killing them, I guess. Because she gets, because of the melon balls. <laughs> well, it's a double satisfaction because she gets to kill them and yeah. also, you know, mur- torture them beforehand. And she gets to use the melon baller, which she really likes. It's a win-win-win. Because mm. we do see her chopping them up later and she puts them in the acid. Yeah. Also, their whole interaction before she uh, takes their eyes out is very funny because Quentin and Pemby are very much like, oh my god, your skin looks amazing! What are you using? <laughs> it's very much like, oh, souls, we killed you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Fuck you. And Quentin calls it like a misunderstanding. Yeah. <laughs> really, Quentin? Really? Wait, um... Did you misunderstand me burning at the stake? <laughs> Did you? <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Fabulous. Moving on, on to Luke and Patty Lupone. Her character, not the actress, not the national treasure. So Luke <laughs> is in a coma, but Patty Lupone has been resurrected by Misty at the end of the previous episode. And, uh, there is a lot of ugly truths that come out about her character and her past and her, we already know, intensely abusive relationship with her son. Bees. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> bees. She, the bees. What done it? <laughs> she did a murder via bee. <laughs> oh, I didn't like that. I'm very scared of bees, so I didn't... That's my least favorite way to murder somebody. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a weird way to murder somebody. It's so petty. I love it. But it's also the way that (laughs) it's shot. The husband gets in the car and he's on the phone. He's like, honey, I'm leaving you. You just have to deal with it. And then there's a... Oh my god, there's a bee inside the car. Oh no, and he goes to smush it. And then there's another bee. And there's another bee. And there's another bee. Like, where are these bees coming from? Did she just put like a full nest inside the glove compartment? Yeah. <laughs> how did she do that? Yeah. And I, how did he not notice that was there was hundreds of bees inside of his car? And also how did when the, he got inside? <laughs> also, how did the bees know what dramatic tension is? And then they had to go out one by one. Did she train the bees to kind of ma- like come out slowly so that he would be very afraid for his life because he knew that he's allergic? Petty. Extremely petty. <laughs> I love it. I can fully imagine her like training the bees for murder for months. <laughs> <laughs> 
And she should have signed off with like a, it was nice to be knowing you, husband. <laughs> <laughs> right? If you're going to murder somebody by bees, you got to put a bee pun. <laughs> you got to. Also, bees are scary. If Candyman has shown us anything, bees are terrifying. Yeah, movie. I haven't watched it because I'm really scared of bees. There was, yeah, like there was some period drop. Was it Talent to the Bees? I really struggled with that. (laughs) There's so many bees and so many close-ups of the bees. Although there is also a, I mean, this has been going around the internet. I don't know if this is, this is a spoiler for a movie. So there is a film, spoiler alert for, (laughs) I've already spoiled it, spoiler alert for Wild Mountain Time. So there is a parent. He's bees? He's bees. <laughs> this whole movie, which is presented, I can't say it with a straight face, this movie, which is presented as a dramatic romantic drama in the mountains or whatever, with Jamie Dornan and Emily Blunt, two like objectively gorgeous human beings. And they cannot be together because Jamie Dornan thinks he's a bee? No. Yes. But he said like human lines in the trailer. He wasn't like buzz, buzz, buzz. <laughs> so he's a human. He's a human man. Who thinks he is a bee? But he talks human. Yeah, should you be like buzz, buzz, buzz? I don't know, man. That's what. Or um, that's was what it? About. Do you like jazz? That's from the B movie, right? <laughs> or is that a meme? <laughs> I thought you were gonna say, "Do you like honey?" Wait, isn't it in the? Is this a meme or is it actually in the B movie? I don't remember the B. You mean the Jerry Seinfeld B movie? The, yeah, the Jerry one? Seinfeld B movie. What other B movie would I be talking about? <laughs> there was yeah. another B movie. You like jazz? Where oh, he's what? like, you like jazz? I have not one single memory from the B movie. <laughs> but it's like a meme now of him, the B movie. Oh, I haven't seen this meme. Oh, it's like many memes. That's oh, a, okay. The B movie is very is a meme unto its own now. Well, I cannot wait for the Jamie Dornan B movie <laughs> to become an even bigger meme. Do you like jazz? <laughs> Should I do it in Irish accent? I'm so sorry. <laughs> Please I... jail me. <laughs> I would just like to posit put this question out into the universe, right? There is a movie financed, produced, and released in some territories, starring two A-list actors, Mr. Dornan, Ms. Blunt, and yet, and yet, there is not a single motion picture made about Mary Laveau. I'm just saying, <laughs> there is a movie where a man thinks, thinks he's, he's a, a fucking bee. bee in the mountains, and there is it's not a... a single movie. Nothing. Look, here's the deal. You get a Marie Laveau movie, but she's played by a bunch of bees in a human suit. <laughs> <laughs> it's Marie Laveau starring bees. <laughs> I'm just saying... This is the state of the industry, and I think it's a problem. It is kind of, yeah, mortifying, yeah, and and yet, well, it was, it was last 
last year or maybe 20 when was it we had like our first harriet tubman film oh yeah the captain <laughs> lemons one exactly you're like <laughs> but bees movies about bees all over the place shall we shall we wrap up the luke patty lupone storyline um so murdered by bees yeah she murders her husband via bee and then she also um kills her yeah nan is like relaying this information she's like i did not kill my husband with bees get out (laughs) (laughs) and then luke wakes up from his coma and he's like you did murder my dad with bees and she's like this pillow on the face killed that is exactly what happens. Yeah. Yep. Only the bees know the truth. <laughs> Wouldn't that be so cool if, like, she went to kill Luke and then just the windows exploded and all the bees came in? <laughs> oh, that's another movie that I would like to watch. But <laughs> after there is an actual Mary Love O movie made. Yeah. So I'm sort of I'm sort of shifting all the all the difficult stuff towards the end. But before we get to that. Uh, Fiona finds Frank and Kyle, and um, he kills a dog. Oh, we get a dog for like two minutes, and I was so excited. And then, yeah. <sighs> and she kill, and then he kills it, and and then Fiona's like, "Never mind, you could be the new dog." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, one of my favorite Fiona moments ever is when she finds Kyle and she's like oh for fuck's sake another boy god damn girls I was like, yeah. <laughs> how many boys are you hiding in this house yeah it's a very great moment Evan Peters or, or dog if you had to choose <laughs> Evan Peters saying dog because that's what he says oh yeah when the dog, dog arrives, he's like dog <laughs> which to be fair is what I say when I and see then, a dog R.I.P. I mean, Evan Peters is great, but I feel like I'd pick the dog every time. I just love dogs. I'm just, I'm thinking about <laughs> it. I'm thinking about it. And what about dog or axe man? Uh, axe dog. <laughs> <laughs> Coming with his little axe. <laughs> I like jazz. <laughs> I like jazz and smelling other dogs' butts. <laughs> I feel like it's still dog. I feel like I would pick dog in almost every situation. <laughs> so, huh. shall we move on to the very... Oh, uh, God. Uh, let's start with Queenie and Lollary. So, Lollary, we should say at this point, is just a head. Like, Mary Laveau has chopped her into bits and pieces all of them are individually alive um and she delivered the head of lollary to fiona fiona gave it back to her and then again lollary is in, and has been for the last episode and this one has just kind of reverted back to full-on racist like gross out there disgusting bigot and <sighs> queenie Queenie plops the head in front of a TV and organizes a series of screenings for her. Um, of, I don't know how to call this. Like, she's she's basically like, "I'm gonna kill you, 
But first, I'm going to try to educate you. Well, she calls it sensitivity training, which is yeah. an interesting description of it. Yeah, I'm not a fan of this. I'm not a fan of the storyline. I'm not a fan of Queenie's storyline just being like, quote unquote, fix the racist. <clears throat> yeah, like I I get maybe the underlying message of like the transformative power of art, which obviously, you know, everyone wants to get behind. <laughs> but I think, you know, expressing it in such a, a deeply simplistic manner of like, if you just sit a racist in front of like the color purple, they're going to come out the other side not being racist. Um, is, yeah. <laughs> I just want to point out that the films that she picked, she shows Lodori uh, Roots, the series, Mandingo, The Color Purple, and Babs. It's also just like, except for Babs, it's films and series that are um centering black pain to a degree yeah that's an uncomfortable segue into i would argue probably the worst scene of this season i'm just gonna put out there this is the worst scene of the season for like in my opinion at least yeah well i would say the clincher of what makes this terrible is the music choice yep Yep, that's that's like sixty <laughs> percent of what makes it really bad. So after after this this series of screening she does, or at least she shows roots, she decides to put on what is a newsreel footage of the civil rights movement, like a I don't know, a sort of a collection of different clips um of the civil rights movement and adjacent political movements set to the song Oh Freedom, which is a, a famous civil rights anthem. And mm -hmm. I think this is our terrible musical knowledge. I think this is the original recording by Odetta. And then it goes from that and and Lalaurie is is all crying because she's had a magical change of heart in 25 minutes. Um it switches from that to Hank bursting into Marie Laveau's salon and just killing everyone. And then also it then cuts from that to a bunch of other different things, including um, Hank's dad crying over pictures of his son's body because that massacre ends with um, Queenie, who's been shot, kind of stepping in last moment to save uh Marie Laveau um and and basically shooting herself but because of her powers it shoots Hank and he's died I did a terrible job of explaining that no you did <laughs> just because it's it's all bad and yeah so the dad like crying over the pictures and it's like I yeah I think to me it's it's the music cho choice because this is such like a it's such a symbolic song and it's so laden with meaning and to just put it over this like random scene of a white man crying over his shitty white son it's like yes. what does this have to do with oh freedom you yeah. know it's it, i think it's an incredibly tasteless use of that song of that piece of music and it's made even worse not just because hank is a trash character but because the violence that he enacts is completely senseless, it's got nothing to do with their, like, 
secret witch hunting mission. Yeah. It's just, I'm just going to kill a bunch of women. Yeah, and a bunch of black women specifically. Yes. I think it's the like racial aspect of violence. Exactly. Like, also juxtaposed with that song, which is all about like you know resilience and strength and like hope and like you know we will we will continue we will maintain and then to have it over yeah as you said images of senseless violence against black women is yikes yeah. <laughs> and I, like yeah and we've talked about this before i know there's a lot it's a violent show it's a horror show there's a lot of gore there's a lot of graphic violence but uh yeah no no there's like i there's no there's no way around it this is just like a very it's a very bad scene it's very badly handled i don't understand why they did this it just doesn't work it doesn't work narratively it's very disrespectful and i just don't see the like the quote-unquote good intentions of this i mean it feels like thoughtlessness to me yeah and like i i don't know it's always been my opinion that like a lot of racism is like done under this banner of thoughtlessness where like and you know where I, I doubt the writers were actively like yeah we're gonna be racist but it's this complete lack of awareness of their actions and the impact of their actions and like the the way that they're valuing the characters and what value they put in these characters because you know if there had been a massacre scene of the white coven i think it would have been handled very differently mm. it would have been you know a pretty big you know gigantic deal for the show if they did that you know but to to have marie laveau salon like completely wiped out in this one scene that's just played like you know, and then to have like the audaciousness of contrasting that with the the dad crying over his shitty yeah. son being dead, like it, to me, it just completely reads as like, do you get what I mean? When it's like a thoughtlessness, but it it's racist because it's like you haven't put any awareness into what you're doing. Yeah, and you're like blithely, like you know, swinging your privilege around, <laughs> just knocking things over. You know, I completely get it, and it kind of it's a it's a full circle of disempowering all the the black characters that have been in the show so far, and even disempowering Mary Laveau, who is arguably a much more powerful witch than any of the coven witches. And it's one of the most powerful characters on the show. Like, she's sort of rendered in a trap, like, between a gun and a wall by this mm -hmm. hapless fuck-up of a dude. And that also kind of felt, I don't know, there was something that really irked me about that. Because, like, no, that's goddamn Mary Laveau. Like, you do not treat, like, that character is not a powerless character. Yeah, it did feel, it did feel really thoughtless. And, um, and it's the end of Queenie as well in not a great way and you know we spoke last episode about the way that Queenie storyline could have been treated but wasn't but you know yeah I think that to me is like the big sort of racist aspect of this is just like the lack of 
Yeah, the lack of like value and care that's put into the black characters versus the white characters. Mm. Because, you know, it's not as screamingly obvious as like they're, you know, not given any humanity or any storylines or any screen time. It's like they are given screen time. They are like, you know, to some degree fully developed characters. But it's just in you see it time and time again throughout this this season that they they are like disempowered they're put in positions of yeah like abuse and violence and and those moments aren't given like the gravity that they deserve compared to when those same instances of like violence and abuse happen to the white characters Hmm. if that makes sense yeah it does and you know it's like it's very clear because even last episode we spent a long time talking about kind of the the space that Fiona's character is allowed to have and the pondering of all the decisions and how she's changing and her relationship to her power and I wish we'd seen a bit more of that with the other characters uh, but I think there's there's a nice way to round up that quite horrible salon scene which is actually a scene that it's a moment also in Cornrow City uh, from the very beginning of the episode, which kind of really contrasts with the end of it. It's like this very sweet, tender moment of Mary Laveau setting up to like do the hair of one of her recurring customers. And, you mm. know, it's just really sweet. Like she's the boss. She's this like super powerful witch. And she's still doing the hair of these ladies like these women and she cares she knows their name she they always come to her she's like very kind and tender and thoughtful with with the women in her community and like that is a whole other relationship that we don't get to see the way that she actually really cares about the people Mm. around her we kind of get this sort of rich white witch versus Mary Laveau and her small salon but like we never fully understand or explore why Mary Laveau chooses to remain in that area like she could have all the money or the power in the world but she likes being around her people yeah because I guess that connects to sort of the real Marie Laveau in a way that she was a community figure yes you know and that it kind of speaks to her legacy that she brought people together and she she cared for people and that was as much a part of her power as the you know the actual supernatural stuff totally and also i like i love that again it's just like a really nice scene uh when she is doing doing her work in the salon and fiona just sort of interrupts really crassly it's just it's a very it's a unusually subtle scene where we kind of see Fiona just not giving a fuck about any community or anything except her own interests in that particular moment mm. um, when she goes to give back Lolly's head. So yeah, that was... um. I'd, I'd almost rather kind of end on thinking about that scene as opposed to the massively thoughtless massacre scene. Yeah, because I mean, that's the sort of complicated thing about Coven is that there are like great parts of that character and obviously Angela Bassett does such a beautiful job with the performance as well so you know yes is there anything 
Is there anything that we haven't covered in the episode before we move on to our categories? No, I think we we covered everything, right? I think so. So, what is your top quote of the episode? I <laughs> I enjoyed when when Myrtle was talking about I put a lot of effort into the key lime pie. <laughs> um, I can't. Remember, I actually didn't write down what she said afterwards, which was stupid of me. But she said something about like, "Oh, call me a philistine, <laughs> just love key lime pie." <laughs> She's cute. I love her. She's very cute. How about you? Mine is actually also a murder line. She's sort of poisoned uh, Pemby and Quentin, and she's digging into both of them. And she says something to Pemby, and she kind of ends it on, Your fashion faux pas gave me nightmares. <laughs> yes. Just her whole like bit with them is beautiful, perfect, amazing. And what about best song? I mean... <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, Freedom is obviously like an incredible song, but used in a terrible way. So I'm going to pick um, Kind of Woman by Stevie Nicks that just plays during Misty being there and around. Yeah. <laughs> being Misty. It is. It's her tunes. I like it. Her tunes. And what about the best fit of the episode? It's the outfit that Madison wears to the hospital, <laughs> which is like so on brand mm-hmm. for me like that's kind of what my wardrobe looks like. i mean i'm not wearing it at the moment because <laughs> i'm wasting wet pants all the time <laughs> but my god the like sheer dress with the giant fur hat yes perfect also, I just put in my notes that it's like Madison's share outfit because she wears, she's like wearing it really high up so you can sort of see her hips through the um like sheer fabric. And it really reminded me of that iconic share bodysuit that she wore, you know, where she wore uh, like these 80s yeah. super high cut like leotards uh, that kind of started at her waist. And so it's like all of her hips were exposed. And that's sort of the vibe that Madison was giving me in that scene. Uh, I thought you meant Cher from Clueless for a second. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Anytime I say Cher, there is only one Cher, Cher. for me. Only there was one just Cher. The one Cher. <laughs> I was thinking about that one. That one made an impression. But I'm going to say that we don't see it very in focus. But there's a little flashback to when Fiona, a younger Fiona, dumps Cordelia at the coven house. She dumps her with Myrtle. And we just see a flash of this black and red dress and black stiletto heels outfit that she's wearing. Also massive Mm. hat. Probably for a more practical reason rather than fashion. But I was like, oh wow, this, this is a look. What about... Did you did you pick up on any witch puns in this episode? Well, it's a bit of a callback to um last week's episode, but the the dog in the the one minute it was on screen, yeah, is called Andorra. Yeah, like from Bewitched, nice the best TV show ever made. I will not have any arguments about this. <laughs> I mean, is this a Bewitched podcast? It is and it isn't. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, And who do you think is the MVP of the episode? 
Oh god. Um, Myrtle, well, um, if your explanation about the melon balling is correct and she didn't cover Cordelia's eyeballs in melon juice, then Myrtle. <laughs> or the bees, no, I give it the bees. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am going to say Cordelia, um, mm. because she tells Hank to fuck off, good for her. And also because she has this really solid, very lovely, very tender mother-daughter relationship with Myrtle. And Myrtle gives her new eyes. And we didn't talk about this, but she gives her new eyes and says that, it, you know, she had a cat who had different colored eyes. So that's why she picked the different eyes for Cordelia as well. It's cute. It's very cute. And I thought that's just, you know, her coming into her own as a witch and into, you know, and Misty sort of compliments her and says that she's got great leadership skills and whatnot. So it's very much kind of her coming out from under the shadow of her mother and mm. calling out on people who are treating her badly. Yeah. No, that's a good pick. And did you pick up on any insensitive historical references this week? Not really. I mean, the the company, the witch hunting company is called the Delphi Trust. Yeah. Which, like, Delphi is the the ancient site where the, you know, that lady would huff fumes and be like, I see the future. Wait, what? Del the, um, the Delphic Oracle. Oh. Oh. That's an interesting name for uh, an yeah, anti-organization. <laughs> yeah, I really, I was like, I don't know, I don't know what the significance of it, but the Oracle of Delphi was some lady, it was a different, I guess it was a series of ladies who uh, sat in a cave, I think it was a cave, they were just like, you know breathing in things that they shouldn't be breathing in <laughs> <laughs> and then being like oh you will you will conquer the spartans i see it in the future <laughs> <laughs> well i wonder where that reference came from yeah it's nothing to do with witch hunters nope <laughs> Um, I think they were just like, what's like an, a kind of old-fashioned, mysterious word? Delphi. <laughs> yeah, what sounds old-timey and conspiratorial? Old Good old Delphic Oracle. <laughs> I think that's all wrapped up for this episode. What can we expect from the next one? In the next episode, Stevie Nicks visits the coven! Oh, Misty's gonna be so happy! Yes! Talking about women who can see into the future. Mm-hmm. She is the. I don't know what what, what we saying. <laughs> oh, oh no, we will need to discuss the TikTok thing. Yes, TikTok. Yes. She invented TikTok. Stevie next. This yeah, is true. Much. Yeah, she's claimed it. <laughs> it is canon. Invented shawls. Invented hats. Invented, invented twirling magic. around. She was twirling around in a circle long before Lana Del Rey was doing it. Yes, yeah, she was. Also, she invented millennials. Let's not forget that. <laughs> Yeah. She birthed all of us, metaphorically. 
Anyways, <laughs> we'll be back next Wednesday with a recap of American Horror Story Coven. In the meantime, send us your thoughts on Twitter. Follow us at Next Supremes Pod. Also, you can find me at Clarice Lou. And I am at Anna B. Demented. Rumors. <laughs> it's the name of the album, right? Banging album. It is the name of the album. It's a banging album. <laughs>